we never used to have um, informed consent where mm. the specifications of a procedure are written out to you. Um, and you're told um, as the doctor is performing a certain procedure that I'm going to do this and the next thing that's going to come is going to be such and such. That um, protocol was the result of the findings that we had about what causes stress. Mm. Um, so again, when people know what's happening and can have a sense that they have some control, they have less stress. This week, a Japanese research team found that spouses of those admitted to the ICU were more likely to suffer a cardiac event than spouses who weren't in the ICU. Dr. Karen Sherman explores the findings. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchedmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. You can find out more information at her website, DrKarenSherman.com. Um, today, we're going to talk about a new study that essentially found that spouses of ICU patients at incre had in an increased risk of cardiac events. Um, so uh, I'm going to go through the whole spiel here for you. So um, basically it talks about how the ICU admission puts acute psychological stress on family members, and then that stress may increase the risk for cardiac cardiovascular disease, particularly for the other spouse, the one not being admitted. Mm -hmm. uh, a Japanese research team conducted the matched pair cohort study focusing on married couples registered in a database between 2005 and 2018. The researchers identified spouses of patients who were admitted to the ICU for more than two days and for the rest of the study population randomly selected one spouse in the exposure group to four individuals who were not in the exposure group. The primary study outcome of interest was uh, any visit for cardiovascular diseases. So the researchers then evaluated the outcomes in the time periods of one to four weeks, five to eight weeks, nine to 12 weeks, and 13 to 16 weeks after the spouse's admission to the ICU. Uh, for, uh, so then they were... Um, in total, there were uh, just over a million eligible married couples in this database, of whom 7,800 were admitted to the ICUs for more than two days. 
spouses in the exposure group were more likely to be diagnosed with hypertension, diabetes, and hyperlipidemia. I'm totally butchered that. Hyperlipidemia. Hyperlipidemia. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I still can't get it. Um, Those with spouses in the ICU were more likely to have cardiovascular events such as angina, heart attack, stroke, arrhythmias, heart failure, or pulmonary embolisms within one month and were more likely to be hospitalized for cardiovascular diseases and severe cardiovascular events than those without spouses in the ICU. So I have a question before you ask me a question. Okay. The... um, hypertension, the diabetes, the hyperlipidemia, were those conditions they had prior to the spouses going into the ICU, or that's after the spouses were in the ICU? Do we know? We don't know, um, but we do know that this is uh, being compared to a random population, so Mm -hmm. you would think that it wouldn't stick out. Mm. Okay. Uh, um, okay. And the number is certainly large, very, very large. Yeah. Uh, and so basically, the in the short, that was a long-winded way of saying that if your spouse goes into the ICU, uh, you as the non-admitted partner uh, are at a higher risk of developing some sort of cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. That's basically what they're saying. Right. Um, so we have talked a lot about... Uh, how this kind of like ripple effect happens with a spouse getting sick. So I'm guessing that none of this is surprising to you in general. Does this offer any new insight, this particular piece of data? It's absolutely not surprising to me. I don't know that it offers any new insight. Um, it, It validates what we know which is that caregivers are under a huge amount of stress and very often end up getting sick themselves uh, in chronic diseases. This is not chronic, but in chronic diseases, we know that caregivers very often predecease the patient that they were taking care of. Um, so this kind of stress of taking care of a spouse um, absolutely has a negative impact on your own health. Mm -hmm. It, um, I know, I have a friend who is an elder, I say elder, um, probably like mid sixties. So not like that old. Um, he has three family members all in the hospital Mm. and, uh, he then after, and this has been going on for probably three to four months now. Um, where it was one and then another, and then all three of them, uh, for the last like two months at least, Mm -hmm. uh, in the last month he has since had his back go out on him. And then Mm -hmm. he had a severe, like, uh, not COVID, but like a severe case of pneumonia where Mm -hmm. he couldn't talk. And so it like, to your point, the stress just crippled him. Yeah, Uh, sure. I'm curious, um, as long as you're talking about this personal case that you know, were, okay, so there's patient number one, 
mm-hmm. and then patient two and then patient three. What's the relationship of patient two to patient one and patient three to patients one and two? So, In other uh, words, they get sick as a result of no. the other people being sick or they're all no, separate? They're all uh, separate. One is uh, a mother uh, mm-hmm. who's old. She's in her early 90s. Mm-hmm. The other is a sister um, who got into a car accident after uh, having a seizure. Oh, and my. the third one is somebody with uh, long-standing pre-existing medical issues um, that seems completely unrelated to the other two. It was an ex-wife mm. uh, who uh. he's still very good friends with and, and mm. constant communication with. Mm-hmm. And um, so all three, uh, you know, one degree of separation, very close yeah. family members, um, and all three incidents seem to be unrelated to each other. Yeah. And yeah. he was at the center of all three of those <laughs> mm. in terms of Lucky him. part of being caregiving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, wow. yeah, it, um, like I feel, I, I feel for him, but, um, anyways, it was, it was almost like when I read this, I like, he immediately came to my mind because I was just like, I was, I would just got off the phone with him last week, um, where he, I mean, he sounded like it was wearing on him, all the caregiving, you know? So I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. And then you add into the fact that, you know, you can't really see people and who are in hospitals because of the, the COVID and like all sorts of stuff. So anyways, that's a, that's a whole other ball of wax here. Well, that's a question later on. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Um, Okay. So, um, uh, so if the physicians know this information, um, like to your point, this, this builds on a already large body of work that we know mm-hmm. as a mental health professional, what do you think can be done? Because it seems like these issues are manifesting from an, a mental and emotional strain, not necessarily, um, like all of a sudden you're falling, you're tripping when you're in the hospital. Correct. Like these, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Well, one of the main factors that causes stress is having a lack of information. There are several factors, uh, but one of the main factors is having a lack of information. So specific to this question, I think that if there were somebody on staff, because you know doctors obviously are very stressed themselves and having to attend to a lot of patients, but if there was somebody on staff who could be giving spouses or family members detailed information about what's going on and what they're thinking and you know what the plan is it would help somebody have that information which then allows you to feel like you're more in control and that would alleviate some of the stress uh so i think that that might be an improvement that could be made on the physician end that would help with the mental stress. You know, um, side note, but along these lines, we never used to have um, informed consent where Mm. the specifications of a procedure are written out to you. Um, and you're told um, as the doctor is performing a certain procedure that I'm going to do this and the next thing that's going to come is going to be such and such. That um, protocol was the result of the findings that we had about what causes stress. Mm. Um, so again, when people know what's happening and can have a sense that they have some control, they have less stress. 
So if we could institute some kind of uh, protocol where somebody on staff, even if it's not the actual physician, but somebody on staff would uh, educate the spouse as to what's going on and, you know, what's going to happen and what the uh, situation is, I think that that would go a long way. Mm. Do you think, um, as we talk about in the past, uh, marriage, um, like the mentality of marriage. So not when we talk about how couples don't necessarily need to be right, but they just need to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think the same thing would apply here? Like the, the spouse doesn't need to get necessarily accurate information. They just have to feel informed. So like the doctor might come out and give you a rosier picture than what might actually be happening. But as long as you feel like your spouse is in good hands, uh, that would help alleviate some of this um, residual effect? Mm, That's a tough one, Steve, because there are going to be different personalities. Um, So some people don't want all the hairy details Mm -hmm. and some people really want to know, you know, give it to me straight. Um, The thought that just came to mind is that when I'm working with couples where there have been affairs, um, Many times the injured party says, I want to know all the details. You know, it will make me feel better. It'll be better than what I'm imagining in my mind. Um, And for some people, they are better off knowing. And for other people, it's much worse. And when I'm working with couples, I sort of give some direction based on what I know about the particular person as to whether I think it's going to help them or not. So I can't make a blanket statement and say, um, you know, just paint a rosy picture and give them some idea. Um, you know, some people are very comfortable when a doctor comes out and says, well, let's not worry about that until we're up to that. That for me would not be satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a worrier and I want to know what the possibilities are. So I think probably somewhere in the middle would be more satisfying because doctors are obviously not going to have the opportunity to really get to know people personally and make the kind of assessment that I'm working on you know, when I'm with couples, but I think just painting a rosy picture and saying, you know, don't worry about this until, um, you know, uh, we're up to that. And, um, you know, um, I'll just let you know when you need to know things. I I think you need more than that. I really do. Mm -hmm. You know, I was also, yeah, I think that's a great uh, response. I, one of the things I was also thinking is, um, so when you go to the hospital, Mm -hmm. um, almost every hospital, maybe all of them, uh, have a chapel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I was just thinking, you know, it's kind of amazing that we have a chapel so that you can go and pray and you can even talk to a priest Mm -hmm. to do this kind of stuff. Wouldn't it make sense to have some sort of like mental health facility that you can just say like, you know, I, you know, we're going to take your spouse into, uh, surgery. Like, you know, here's, you know, step into this office and have a conversation with somebody who's trained as opposed to, to your point, like having like a nurse or somebody who's not trained specifically in the, like the nuances and the details. Like, it just seems like a more holistic approach to the whole damn thing. Yes. That was something I was going to suggest. 
um, <laughs> I think that that would absolutely be a wonderful adjunctive service to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, one of the things that also struck me was that I was curious about the numbers that were provided, if there would be more insight, if we were also able to dig in deeper into the extended family support. Mm-hmm. So if you, for, so what I'm thinking of is if you are, uh, the, the partner and you're taking your spouse for surgery into the ICU or whatever, uh, and it's basically just you and you're kind of alone. Or mm-hmm. do you have like a large family network who is all there supporting you or um, helping you back at home or whatever the case is, just having that larger network of support? Do you think that would um, tip the numbers a little bit? Yes, I do. You know, again, one of the things that um, alleviates stress is having support. So I think that if we, if the study had given us some insight into what the support systems were for these people, it might be very interesting to see if those who had more support had less um, consequences physically. Uh, because if they have people that uh, can help them, even just talking about it or uh, allowing them to vent and discuss their concerns or whatever, that is going to be a big help. Um, so uh, I do think it would be interesting to be able to glean those numbers and see um, if there was a difference in those who had um, you know, a support system as opposed to those who didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so we kind of touched on this next one uh, earlier, but COVID. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's shaking up so many different aspects of our lives. And, and um, at least in most areas, um, visitors are not allowed. Um, right. I, my being personal here, my mom recently had surgery and my dad had to call me from the parking lot. He was mm. not allowed in the hospital. And um, by the way, she's fine. Good, um, I was going to ask. <laughs> um, so do you think that this um, environmental change, not being able to be in the hospital, um, if, would affect, because remember, this data stops at 2018, um, would affect the outcome? So if you're not around all the buzzing machines and the, and the you know, the buzz of the hospital, um, that it might actually be beneficial? Or do you think it's a little detrimental because... No, I think it makes it worse. Yeah, I think it's much worse. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think that at least if you can see your mate, you can get a sense of how they're feeling. You can talk. You can feel like you're doing something to give them support. You know that you feel like you're being instrumental in some way. That if they need help, you can run to the nurses' station. There's a sense again that you're in control of the situation. Um, that you're part of it. I think to not be allowed into uh, the hospital um, and that sense of disconnection only adds to more stress. Mm-hmm. So again, I think if we ran the study now, we would see even more um, people having uh, an adverse reaction. Mm-hmm. So uh, this gets to the big question. Uh, if your spouse is admitted, uh, I guess I'll ask it in two parts. What advice do you have for self-care 
mm-hmm. if while you're allowed in the hospital and if it happens in uh, a time when you're no not allowed in the hospital, if that changes the answer at all. Um, I think, first of all, what you have to do is accept the fact that you are under stress mm. and that it is not only okay, but essential that you take care of yourself, that you spend some time with self-care because um, you're not going to be um, as useful if you're exhausted and depleted. Um, you may actually get, as we see, um, you know, we, we know for a fact that you could actually get sick, uh, you could die. Uh, so what good are you then? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I often do that with people. I'll say to them, you know, let's do this another way that <clears throat> you're not really helping your mate if you're so exhausted because you're not doing this for you. You're doing this for them because if you've depleted yourself, you're trying to be so helpful, but you're not helpful at all. So don't think of self-care as being selfish. Um, and that makes it a little easier for people to swallow. Uh, so it's it really is absolutely essential that you do some things for yourself. Now, that could be as minimal as taking, you know, um, a 15-minute break if you're in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, you know, every two hours, and just going and having a cup of tea and just sitting, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it is allowing other people to come and relieve you and you not sitting there all the time. Um, it's talking to friends and, you know, knowing who you can speak to, who will be understanding and, you know, not give you the pep talk like, oh, it's going to be, but you know, who really can give you what you need. Mm -hmm. Um, it's making sure that, you know, you get sleep. It's allowing yourself to let go of other stress in your life. So if you, um, end up bringing in food as opposed to cooking, or you end up using paper plates instead of dishes because stress is cumulative. Hmm. So let go of as many other things as you have on your plate, little things, big things, so that that way, uh, you're not overburdening yourself. Um, as far as it being during COVID, um, That's a hard one. You know, um, I guess the best thing to do is, I I, I don't know the ruling now. Is it only that the spouse can come or they, or uh, people who are in the hospital can have one guest? I think it depends on the area and how rampant the infection rates are in that area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Determine uh, the policies of the hospital. And I'm assuming like, even with that being the case, because there are public hospitals and private hospitals Mm -hmm. like that all changes as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think it really does depend. Okay. So if you're in a situation where other family members can visit, um, I think that you have to allow other family members to visit, um, it doesn't have to be where you don't go at all for the day or for two days, but where, again, you give yourself some time off. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, make use of the telephone or if you have, you know, a FaceTime or, um, you know, other methods of seeing each other so that that way, you know, maybe you don't take the drive every day, um, which ends up being exhausting, you know, mm-hmm. um, so you've got to cut corners somewhere again, because this is not a sprint. This is a marathon and you've got to last the duration. Um, and when you're home, um, allow yourself to let go of all the other things that normally you would take care of so that, um, you don't have to just keep piling more and more on, make sure that you're eating as healthy as possible, make sure you're getting as much sleep as you can. Um, those are just, you know, take vitamins. Those are just, uh, the best ways that you can live healthy so that you're not as vulnerable to the stress. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because, um, you know, part of the taking care of yourself, relieving stress, some people will indulge in unhealthy behaviors and here in your touting, don't, don't run no. out and get the junk yeah. food, get the healthy stuff. Cause you're going to need it. Yes. Um, I was also going to piggyback off of something you said earlier, which was acknowledge that you have, that this is a stressful environment and you're going to mm-hmm. feel it. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel when you're talking specifically about COVID to again, acknowledge that, uh, you might not have access to your spouse while they're, uh, in the hospital yeah. and that there's nothing you can do about it. It's not your fault and it's out of your hands. And, and, in an, and at least in an attempt to recognize it so that the stress doesn't become, and the guilt doesn't become overwhelming because I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially the guilt, there's nothing that you're doing that could make a change about it. So adding guilt to your life is certainly not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, this was great. Karen, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add before we close this one out? Um, no, I just, you know, again, um, remember that stress is cumulative that you, um, so you want to keep as many factors as possible, um, in a good place. Um, and to, um, you know, use your different resources and not think there's something wrong with you, um, during a difficult time, because in order to get through this difficult time, um, it's, it's okay to ask for a little help from your friends, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that's very solid advice. And I love you repeating the point that stress is cumulative because I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, that's not that stressful. And it's like, well, that thing might not be, but you know, it only takes oh, that, that is one- something I will add. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I just realized something you'll notice from the study that they said they looked at, you know, two weeks after four weeks after mm-hmm. many times people don't realize that they are stressed because they get through what they need to get through. And then the results of the stress, the consequences of the stress don't show up until four months later, six Mm. months later. So don't second guess yourself or don't feel so cocky that I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine because it catches up with you. Mm -hmm. So 
do please take to heart that these are important measures to take while you are going through it. Because though you can get through it, I have no doubt that people can, you know, sort of just dig in and get through what they need to. There are consequences to be paid down the line. Mm-hmm. No, that that is such a great point. And I mean, to your point, like humans are so, so resilient. The, the atrocities that people have endured and carried on. And I mean, you know, keep keep calm and carry on, right? Like that's... Mm-hmm. Bombs were falling on London, and and uh, you know they went about their day. I mean that's it's unfathomable to me, but um, it you know that's how it went. And so uh, your point is very well taken, I think. So with that, we will wrap it up, Karen. So thank you so much for your time. It is always a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure as always. And before we go, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness in the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. You can also find this information on our website, hitchedmag.com, where we have thousands of articles, hundreds of podcasts. Uh, The complete archive actually is there um, because I know a lot of the podcast players don't go all the way back to the beginning. They only load so many. Um, And then um, we have a free newsletter that goes out uh, each Monday evening uh, that gives you, keeps you up to date on all the latest information that we've put out there. So uh, check that out as well. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up. And with that, we will call this one a episode and until next time, take care, everybody. Showtime. Showtime. Clear our heads of all our worries and fears. Now we know.